0: to the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 6 this morning. The very beginning of the New Testament in Matthew, and we're going to be in chapter 6. We'll start with verse 1 this morning. I'd like to read to you the text. In verse 1 of Matthew chapter 6, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received the reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray... Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received the reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him this then is how you should pray our father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us today our daily bread forgive us our debts as as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one for if you forgive men when they sin against you your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. We're getting ready to wind up our series on what the scope of Nova Church will be. And in the 11 weeks that we've been in this series, we've been talking about the ethos of Nova Church, the character, the, the culture, the esprit of, of Nova Community Church. And we've talked about how as a church we will love each other and how we will worship and serve and how we will reach out to the lost. And today we will talk about prayer. At Nova Church, we join our hearts and lives together for pastoral prayer, just like we did when when we gathered to worship. Our prayer concerns are an integral or critical focus of our small groups every week. We teach on prayer at cleansing streams bible study that's going to be starting this thursday we're assembling a group of gifted prayers to pray for people after our sunday worship service we pray for partners in the gospel who are serving remote and faraway places that many of us will will maybe never visit we write our anxious concerns on the back of communication cards and we send emails to prayer at novachurch.org so that our Nova prayer team can pray for, address all these needs. Not, Not a day, it almost seems like not an hour goes by that someone from the Nova family is praying. Nova is a church that prays without ceasing for supernatural intervention. But let me be honest with you. This will not be your, your basic, religious-sounding sermon on prayer. You know, I, I just don't have it in me. I, that's the way I feel. Most of the stuff I've heard and read on prayer is, has me carrying a burden of guilt in the bitter taste of what I would call spiritual cliches or God talk. Because who needs that? I, I certainly don't need another burden of guilt on me. Just because I don't wake up at the crack of dawn and and pray for two plus hours like Doctor So and So did, right? Or just because I didn't say it in just the right way. I I used to think when it came to prayer, you either had it or you didn't. I mean, I just I would hear people pray and and I would say, I I, I don't have it like like that. See, maybe your experience is like mine and. I, I think we, we tend to yearn for prayer. We we love to pray, and then we hide from it, too. We're attracted to it, and we're also repelled by it sometimes. We believe that prayer is something that we should all do. I think we can all agree with that. And it's something that we want to do, but there seems to be sometimes this roadblock between us and, and actually praying sometimes. I, I don't know about you, have you ever... Experienced prayerlessness, Or am I the only sinner in the room, right right now? <laughs> it's easy to say that the preoccupation with the mundane or the busyness of life, or relational obligations, uh, are reasons we suffer from this prayerlessness. But I think that's only a smokescreen. I think it's just a bunch of lies. It's just a bunch of bull. So let's be honest. And let's get a fresh perspective of prayer. I, I thought I'd start with what, what keeps us from praying. And they aren't the usual suspects in what keeps us from praying. But I, I just thought, well, let's just start and talk about this in the beginning. I think perfectionism keeps us from praying, of, of all things. It, it's wanting to be just right in the words that we say. And we, and, and, and we feel like before we can pray, maybe our lives need a little fine-tuning, just just a little bit, and we, or we need to know more about prayer, so I need to study about it before I can do any prayer. Or we need to study the philosophical issues surrounding prayer. Or we need to get a better grasp on prayer. And the ex- excuses, they just go on and on, because perfectionism, it, it robs us of, of prayer, and it, it leads to prayerlessness. Emily Griffin, who's an author, she writes this. She says, to pray means we are willing to be naive. And I think that's beautiful, because... Naive people could probably teach us something about prayer if, if perfectionism is something that keeps us from praying. The second thing I think that keeps us from praying, I think, is, is common to many of us. It's, it's just motives. Because after I pray sometimes, I examine what I just prayed or what I just said, and I think, how foolish you are or how self-centered you are in, in your prayer. And so I, I sometimes vow to never pray out loud again until I straighten out all of the motives in my life, you know, and this effect or this, this, the effect of the reflection in this way, that always keeps us from prayer. And the third way, I think, which is sort of unusual things that keep us from prayer, is, is God's omniscience. Of all things, I think sometimes God's omniscience keeps us from praying. You see, the Bible teaches us that God is omniscient, that he has complete knowledge, if, if you understand this. Um, God has complete knowledge. And this is not saying that God is a genius. It's not saying God is bright or he's really sharp. These are finite expressions of a people severely limited by time and space. See, God knows everything. And no question can confound him. And no dilemma will confuse him. And no event will surprise him. This is God. And he has eternal, intrinsic comprehensive, and absolutely perfect knowledge of what's going on. And so the question, if God knows it all, the question is this. Why pray, right? God knows it. Why why do I pray? If God knows what's happening and what'll happen and what's going to happen, what's the use? Why do we even pray anyways? Well, here's my take on it. Prayer is not a personal spiritual transaction sort of like some of us have this thinking you know if i pray with in just the right way with just the right words then god that'll unlock sort of the key to my request right or if i pray enough you know if i just keep praying over and over and over again for that same request then finally god will hear me or if I gather a group of people to pray more and more, if I get hundreds and thousands, if I put it on Facebook and I tweet it and I text it and I email it and I, and I, and I put it on prayer at novachurch.org and, and the more people I gather up, then God will hear the multitude of prayers if we're praying the same thing. You see, prayer is not a personal transaction. But when I pray, something happens. I am changed. My encounter with the omniscient God changes me. And when I draw close to the heart of God, the one who knows it all, I am transformed to be more like him. That's what prayer does. We pray for personal transformation, not personal transactions. Jesus teaches us all about this in in Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, in the Gospel of Matthew, and He gives us signs of degenerating prayer. And as you study the life of Jesus Christ in the four gospel accounts, you're going to quickly discover that Jesus' teachings were different than the official leaders of Judaism. He was a radical revolutionary, and he was a threat to the religious system. And this is evident in the Sermon on the Mount, where he repeatedly uses the statement, you have heard this, but I say to you, this. It's a great, great couple statements. And time after time, Jesus brings us this, this fresh, this much-needed perspective. And in those bra- days, prayer had degenerated into five specific areas, and Jesus lays them all out. The first one is formality. Prayer degenerated because of formality. Prayer became this formal exercise rather than a free expression of our thoughts and our feelings and our in our desires to communicate with the living God. There were liturgical prayers and standardized and cut and dried prayers for every occasion. There was hardly an event that went on during that day that there was prayer attached to it. That's what would happen. At mealtimes before, as we often pray before mealtimes, but then there was a prayer after mealtimes also. There were prayers. Every time you lit a candle, you would pray a prayer. And every time you'd see lightning in the sky, you would pray a prayer and uh, if there was a new moon that, that rose on the horizon, there was a prayer for that. And if a comet went by, you would pray for that. If there was rain like we had yesterday, you would pray the standard prayer. If there were storms, if the sun started shining, well, there would be a prayer for that. If you saw the sea or a lake or a river, there were prayers, prayers for each one of those bodies of water. If there was good news, you'd pray for that. Bad news, you'd pray for that, of course. If you sat on new furniture, yes, yes. There would be a prayer for that, and as you were entering a city, and as you were leaving a city, you would pray a standardized, cut-and-dried prayer. Prayer degenerated into a formality. The second way that prayer degenerated was they became ritualistic, prayers did. They weren't spontaneous. There were set times to pray and set places that you could pray. The third way that prayer degenerated was they became very verbose, meaning they were long. They were, they were really long. And they believed that whoever prayed long enough was better heard by God. And if you banged long and hard on the doors of heaven, you were granted God's attention. So prayers degenerated into formality. They were ritualistic. They were verbose. The fourth was they were repetitious. And, and Jesus called out, that on prayer also. You learn to repeat the same words or phrases of prayer that was previously answered. So if you prayed a prayer and it was answered, someone would write that down and say, well, we need to pray that prayer again. Exactly like that, because it was sort of a formula or a spell or an incantation that you would say over and over and over again, because that worked, so let's try it again. In the way, the fifth way that prayer as degenerated, was they became prideful. Prayer was a cause of pride and attention rather than a humble expression to a living God. It was a legalistic status symbol. I mean, there were places to pray. You would, in positions of pray, prayer, you would have your hands outstretched, palms facing up, and head bowed, and you'd go to a public street corner three times a day so that people would know that you are definitely Heavy into, deep into, you were a prayer. Now, is it any wonder that prayer loses value because of that these sorts of rituals and formalities and long prayers and prideful prayers and who would want to, who could, or who would want to live up to that sort of a standard? Well, I, I want to just bring to us this: How can we have a satisfying prayer life? That's just simple of a question, I think, as we can get here. Jesus makes three strong statements. And when he makes these statements in Matthew chapter 6, he makes them in the negative form, which I'm not really a fan of, but I'm not going to argue with Jesus here. So let's take a look at this as a a plan to follow if we want to have a satisfying prayer life in the negative according to Jesus. How about that? Number one is this. Don't be hypocritical. That's the first Thing that Jesus lays out here in Matthew chapter six. Um, to turn this around into the more of the positive, I, I would say, let's be true. Let's be true to ourselves. Let's be authentic. Let's be honest. Let's have integrity. Let's match up what's ever in our heart with what comes out of our, our mouth or, or what, what's, uh, what's in our thinking. And, and let's match our feelings and our thoughts and our actions all together when we pray. Simply stated, Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, Jesus says, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. And then in verse 5 of the same chapter, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received the reward in full. Verse 16, and when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received the reward in full. See, Jesus reserves some of the strongest comments he has for hypocrisy and hypocrites. And it's safe to say Jesus despised hypocrites. It, and Jesus repeats the phrase in Matthew chapter 6, they have received the reward. The reward in full. And he makes it clear that they will be granted nothing later. They will not receive a reward later if you're going to pray, if you're going to act in these hypocritical ways. And in verse 6 in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Prayer is never something we do to show off or to impress others. Let me say that again. Prayer is never something that we do to show off or to impress others. It loses its whole purpose and it becomes this platform to put your religiosity on display. Prayer is to be Prayer is to be exercised in the closet of our lives. It's, it's between you and God. It's, it's a time to connect with God. So number one, don't be hypocritical. Number two, Jesus would say, don't use repetition. Don't use repetition. Be fresh, in other words, or make it your own. Make it nova, make it new for you. Don't be repetitious. Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, it says, When you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And this leads us to realize that Jesus never saw prayer as pleading or begging or hammering away at the throne of God. The Father knows his children, and he knows what we need. And there, there is no reason to think that connecting with him requires special words excessively repeated over and over and over again. We need more than ever this freshness or spontaneity, I think, in prayer. I, I'm personally tired of overworked phrases that I often use that I'm trying to get rid of in my life. Words like bless when I pray. Words like lead or guide or direct, I use those all the time. I use those almost mindlessly sometimes. I'm, I'm getting tired of the, the words, thy will be done or your will. Try not to use that when I'm praying. And, and I'm really over the phrase, be with, you know, be with so-and-so, be with. And I'm thinking, well, God, if you're omnipresent, I, I don't need to pray be with. You're here, right? He's, he's right here. Or any other sort of institutionalized, or galvanized, or religious, or overworked terms. I'm trying to get rid of those things in my life. And and as I'm praying, I'm I'm trying to use fresh. It's even silly some of the things I say. I laugh when I pray now because I'm thinking that's not, that doesn't, it's not religious enough, you know. And I and I laugh. I I was um, there's a, a university locally that. Uh, many of, of our collegians, or some of our collegians, and some of you attended, and, and my daughter attends there right now, and we were there visiting her a few months ago, and she said, I want to show you the prayer chapel. And I, I, I like prayer chapels, I, I think they're beautiful. If you've ever been to one, they're kind of petite, dainty, beautiful pews, and stained glass, and uh, soft music, and uh, lighting that's a little dim, and they're beautiful. Beautiful they're not really places of prayer usually, they're places of beauty, places of solace, places of reflection. But she showed us the prayer chapel there, and, uh, and I walked in and I thought, well, what's this like? It looked like someone just had a slumber party there, is what it looked like. Pillows all o- no, no pews. Pillows all over the floor, and there was a cross there that looked like a chapel, but on both sides of the cross there was these old sheets that were hung up, and and, and And she opened them up and said, "Here's a prayer closet she said, and there's a blanket and pillows there and another one over here and 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 there were crayons with uh, on a low table like uh, in a japanese household and and um pieces of paper that were just blank pieces of paper and stacks of crayons and glass beads and uh um colored sand and and pebbles and and students were making pieces of art, and I think there was clay there. And, and someone would draw pictures, and, and there were uh, like clotheslines all across this room with clothespins. And people would write their prayers down and put it on, hung up all over this room, and pictures drawn, and photos Pray for my dad, he has cancer, and a book filled with prayer requests, and a Bible, a big Bible there that, people, that students were marking and saying, Read this. And, and, and it was a mess in there. And she was showing us and she said, look, look at this, look at this, look at this prayer request. There was a, there was a, a wailing wall, there's a wailing wall there, sort of a, a wall with bricks and with pieces of slips of paper. You can write your request and slip it into the crack of the wall. And another student would go to pray and they'd grab that slip of paper, read that request, pray for it, turn it over, write their own request, roll it up and slip it back in that wall again. And this wall is filled with requests like that. And I thought, how fresh, how spontaneous, how unique, how creative. And I walked away from there inspired but extremely jealous at the freshness that these students were approaching prayer. Let Nova be a place where public prayers don't have to be just right. Please. That they don't have to be the focus of being theologically perfect. Please help us. Let Nova be a place where the expression of the human heart is connecting with an omniscient God. That we aren't here just for personal transactions. This prayer plus this prayer plus this prayer plus the whole room full of prayer will equal this yes from God. Let's not be like that. Let's be a place where prayer is spontaneous and fresh and new and from the heart. If you want to have a satisfying prayer life, don't be hypocritical. Don't use repetition. And, and last one, very simply, and once again, Jesus lays it out. Don't harbor anything against another. Freely forgive as you've been forgiven. Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. How's your conscience today? Is it, is it clear? Is it clean? Matthew chapter, uh, Psalm chapter, six, the 66th Psalm, verse 18 says, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. If I want to be clean, I must be certain Things are right between myself and others because prayer changes me. Our times are literally in the hands of God, and God does the shaping. He does the changing, and he's in control. See, prayer was never intended to make anyone feel guilty. It was never intended to be this verbal marathon for only the elite and the the in-the-know Real prayer, the kind that Jesus mentions here in Matthew chapter 6, the, one that he, the, the prayer that he modeled is realistic, it's spontaneous, it's down to earth communication with the living God. And this kind of prayer is not burdensome, but it brings freedom and it relieves guilt and it cures personal anxiety. And it brings this calm assurance that God is in control, He's in full control of our lives and our circumstances and our lives. I have one takeaway for you today, this application, this one phrase for you today, and this is it. Be honest to God. That's it. Be honest to God. Pour your heart out to him. He knows, and he he likes, he loves hearing from you. And you're going to benefit from the talk. I I guarantee if you're honest to God. Remember, your prayer is not a personal transaction with God. It is for personal transformation. Be honest to God. Amen. Let's all stand. We're getting ready to close up our service here. I want to remind you as you're standing to take pictures for the photo directory on the north side of the Christian Education Building. Please sign up for Laundry Love over here in this corner of the room and give your donations there. Also, Cleansing Stream Seminar Bible Study that starts this Thursday. Their signups are in this corner over here. Before you go today, would you turn to the person next to you and encourage them, exhort them, look them deep in the eyes and say, hey, be honest to God.